Well, good afternoon, everybody, and um, welcome to this uh, new podcast from the Diversity Project. And I'm absolutely delighted to be joining you and um, to host this. My name is Julian Hepburn. Um, we're going to look at, at diversity, but in particular in this podcast, um, all around being a woman in financial services industry. Um, I think we've come a long way, certainly in the 30 years that I've been in the industry. But if you look at some of the figures, so with only, say, 10% of female fund managers and the number of FCA registered individuals in terms of females only being at 17%, and apparently that's not seen significant change since 2005, we've probably still got some way to go to represent the society that we actually serve and we service. So how can we think about encouraging more women into the industry? And, and are there any barriers and, then, and myths that we could explore that will help with this? Um, as I mentioned, I started my career um, over 30 years ago now, uh, back in Standard Life. The jokes about starting when I was five have now worn a bit thin. So um, I will admit to having 20 years in the same business and then working for a variety of roles in the industry and also setting up two businesses of my own. So hopefully bring a bit of experience to the conversation uh, this afternoon. But I'm delighted to be joined by um, two amazing women who are at both different stages of their careers. And, um, and we're going to explore their views on, on, on the financial services industry. But clearly this isn't just about stories. It's also about um, thinking about maybe actions by the end of the half hour that we're gonna to spend together. So who's in the virtual studio with me today? Um, first of all, I'm delighted to introduce Sandy Basudevan, and she'll correct me if the pronunciation of that is, is correct. Is that excellent? Thank you. I've passed the first test. So um, uh, Sangvi is, is currently a finance student in, at Durham University, but she was schooled in New Delhi. And I think that's interesting to pursue and, and to, to look at. Um, there she led a number of social cause campaigns and, and looked at issues such as gender inequality, violence against women. Um, and in the UK here at university, she's involved in a number of consulting projects through the University Consulting Society, but also interestingly, I think part of a team um, for uh, the University Student Investment Fund. So that's a real, a real global fund um, uh, that she's working on. So it's no surprise probably that she's joining the investment consulting team at Lane Clark Peacock later this year. Um, Iona Bain will probably uh, need no introductions to many of you. And like me, um, a fellow Ed Edinburgher, I think that's what we could call ourselves from up here in Scotland. Um, Iona, I think it's fair to say, is known as the go-to voice amongst the young, on, on young personal finance. And she founded the Young Money blog back in 2011, which many people will have read. And she's now a regular presenter on TV and radio. Um, so ranging from interestingly women's hour, to, um, to an under 30s version of Question Time, which sounds absolutely fascinating. And she's also a journalist and contributes regularly to publications such as The Times, and that was shortlisted for a UK Press Award, so congratulations, Iona. Um, Iona's also really also proud of the organisations that she works with, such as the London Institute of Banking and Finance and the Future Asset Charity. I think what's most exciting at the moment, Iona, is that you're about to uh, launch your book, so Iona is having a book published shortly and uh, pre-orders can be taken now. Maybe Iona will give, her, give us another little um, plug for that at some point in this podcast. 
Um, so that's who we are. Um, and I'm going to start um, with Iona. Iona, um, you know, how, how do you think, we're going to talk about encouraging women into the industry, but first of all, I think, um, given that if I'm right, you've got a music qualification, what was your journey into this industry? Well, like you say, Gillian, I started out as a musician and I trained at an excellent state-funded music school here in Edinburgh. And really, up until my early 20s, I was convinced I was going to become a professional musician. And um, I pursued that really up until the age of 23. And I started out doing classical music and then I moved into pop music because as you go into your early 20s, you, you, you hit that phase where you want to go out into the world and do exciting, glamorous things and live the dream. And for me, that was trying to get a record. Yeah. So that's what I spent my early 20s doing and I don't regret it at all. It was, it was a fantastic learning curve. It was character forming and it was a lot of fun. But at some point, I also realized that um, making it in the music industry is extremely difficult. Even if you're talented and hardworking, um, it doesn't always work out. Um, and I'm the kind of person who, who really wants to feel like I'm making a difference, if that doesn't sound too cheesy. So I really was drawn to a career whereby I felt like I could have a voice and that I could speak up on some really important issues. And um, I was coming to this realization around about the time that I was also really struggling with my own personal finances. Um, and there's really my origin story um, is, uh, it relates to an episode that happened when I was in my early twenties, when I was living at home with my parents and I was doing gigs in Glasgow and I was taking the money that I earned from these gigs because it was cash in hand. Um, and putting it in a piggy bank in my room in, in my parents' house. And I thought I was being really clever and grown up. And uh, I, I, I thought that until I came home one night and realised the house had been burgled. Um, my parents had been out. I'd been out. We came back. It was a big shock. And of course, the piggy bank was gone. And with that, all the money that I'd earned up to that point. So that was a real that was a real epiphany then I understood yeah. I have to really get to grips with personal finance and that's when I decided I've got nothing to lose because that's often a really good basis for making a massive career change and a new start sure. having nothing to lose is is often um the trigger for for really turning things around and doing something different and I thought well I need maybe I need to start learning about money and I was very fortunate that my dad Simon Bain was a, a business and finance journalist. He retired a couple of years ago and he suggested starting a blog. And at that time, there were hardly any blogs around. Um, it wasn't really the thing that it is today. Um, the term influencer didn't exist. If you said the word influencer, people thought of cults. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I decided, well, I've got nothing to lose and I enjoy writing. Um, and who knows where this could take me? And really, I just parlayed that blog into a career where I talk about young people's financial issues and I'm prepared to go on the TV and radio I'm prepared to speak at events as well as write about these issues and I think that sometimes the wonder is not that it's being done well it's that it's being done at all because actually unfortunately we still perhaps have you know a, an industry that, that is somewhat dominated by by male figures who are you know all fantastic but sometimes it feels like younger women aren't that visible and they don't have that much of a voice. And, and that's one thing that I'm really, really determined to change. 
Yeah, so so Iona, was that a bit of a preconception then that you had of the industry before you really got into it? Definitely. And yeah. it was partly because my dad being a business and finance journalist, obviously, mm -hmm. um, I didn't have a huge amount of, of awareness of, of what he did for a living when I was growing up. My parents were fantastic. They really supported my brother and I in, in pursuing music and, and having that creative career sure. path. Um, but you, you inevitably, you know, do get a little bit of exposure to the world of finance and business. You do hear things, you do pick up things. And it, it, for me, when I was growing up, it did seem like a very male centric industry. And, yeah. and that in and of itself wasn't alienating to me because, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm a big believer that, you know, as a woman today, if you want to, you can put your mind to anything and you can do what you what you want. And really, the environment that you're in and the fact that there are more men than women shouldn't be that off putting to you. Sure. But then I got a bit older and I realized that actually, um, you know, if, if you're not seeing that many younger women around you, it can make you feel a little bit unconfident and unknowledgeable. But yep. thankfully, I think things have changed massively in the past 10 years, even since I started out in in the financial media. It's a much more female friendly industry. Um, it's, you know, Me Too was a huge game changer and I'm sure we'll come on to, to issues relating to that. But I, yeah, whereas at one time I did think it was quite a male dominated industry, I now definitely don't think that's the case. Although, of course, I think there's still a lot of work to be done making the industry seem appealing and accessible to younger people and especially younger women. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you touched on it there as well, that um, it's not just maybe this perception of it being a male dominated industry, but also you know, the kind of qualifications and background that you mm. should have if you're entering the industry. And I was asked once, you know, what on earth have you done or how have you managed to get to where you are in the industry with only an English degree, which mm. seemed a bit of a strange thing for somebody to ask me. But um, did you find that with obviously your, your background as well, that that was a, maybe a bit of a challenge for you or, or, or a concern? Yes, it was a challenge at first. And um, I think because I was going primarily into the financial media, it was less of a challenge and concern than it might have been had I tried to get into the financial industry because, um, yeah. you know, I, I didn't have any qualifications at that time to go into the financial media, but I certainly would never have had any qualifications to go into the financial industry. Um, but having said that, I just worked hard. I, I learned on the job and I brought a lot of the skills that I'd learned from mm. training as a musician to my new job. And actually I'm amazed at how much of, of, of that skill set that I acquired when I was growing up is transferable to my job today and how creative and lateral and um, confident really you have to be in, in the field that I'm in. And when you're a musician and when you're a public performer, you learn how to put yourself out there. And if you're a young woman who's determined to give other young women a voice, in the financial industry, then having that confidence is everything. It really, really helps you. So I, I think that it was that it was that soft skill set ultimately that mattered more in the long run than any of those, you know, specific qualifications. And I was very lucky, you know, I, I when I after I trained as a musician, I um, worked really hard. I got into Oxford, so I got a really good university education, and I'm very proud of having gone to Oxford because it was really great training for my brain and really helped me again in the work that I do today but doing a music degree at Oxford is not going to ease your path into the financial media or financial industry you know um, really it's about what you're prepared to give how hard 
your work, um, how kind of out there you'll be, how you'll put yourself out there and, and, and be confident and back yourself. It's about those things more than anything else. Yeah, fan fantastic. I think you've touched on a whole number of points there. Transferable skills is really key, I think, in terms mm. of, of women thinking about um, financial services in the industry as a career. And also, I think, and we can touch on this later, the, the range of careers that are available. So you don't necessarily have to have a maths or e an economics degree um, or even a degree. In fact, you know, no. if I look at our company here at Schroeder's, we have a range of pathways into the industry. So um, some great things that we can focus on. Um, and, and I'm always conscious we've got 30 minutes today, but we've got a whole um, range of podcasts that we can cover some of these topics in more detail and, and over the next year but I'm going to go over to Sandy now and, and, and welcome welcome to this podcast it's great to have you on board and um, particularly at a very early stage in your career so could you explain to us um, why did you see financial services appealing as a career what, what was your thought process? I think um, in relation to what Iona said it was very different journey for me. So um, I've, I completed my schooling in New Delhi, where essentially um, at the important years in our schooling, which is the A-level equivalent, uh, we are told to choose between doing science or doing medicine engineering related courses, doing econ business related courses, and then doing arts. And, you know, with I personally feel it was a bit restrictive, but based on my own um, personality, what I liked, I decided to go for econ business, doing maths. And I think my journey sort of started there. And one thing I can say is, especially in New Delhi, and especially in my school, there was a lack of exposure to financial services, much less actually getting to talk to women in financial services, women in senior positions in financial services. So when I finished my schooling and I was looking for opportunities and there were two that really stuck out to me, which was either going down, going down the road of financial services or doing consulting strategy management. And coming to university, I realized it opened up a whole new world for me. I, you know, I was sitting in a room with people from all over the world who had their own reasons for choosing finance, who had their own reasons for choosing this particular path. And while I do admit at the beginning of it, I did feel a bit lost because some of the other people that I had met, you know, when you talk to them, they'd be like, "You, I have wanted to do finance since I was 10 years old. I've wanted to be an investment banker since I was 12 years old. And for me, it was just a gradual entry into this world. But since then, you know, I have gotten involved with a few projects at university. I have got to meet with some wonderful people at networking events, be it um, male or female. I've got to meet a whole host of people from different organizations. And I've learned that financial services has so much more to offer than one could imagine, be it working on some of the most challenging things and uh, challenging things in the world, you know, leading to immense personal growth, leading to immense professional development, sure. working with some of the most brilliant minds in the world, working with people from all across the world, coming with their own perspectives. There's just an incredible range of opportunity to learn from. And while I do agree that there is a lack of women in senior positions, and that is heartbreaking in the sense that I perhaps don't have as many to look up to, especially women, women of color, but I was determined that 
I was going to be that person for the next generation. I wanted to be someone who could reach or play, break that, uh, shatter that glass ceiling and actually be there for other women who wanted to enter this industry. And I think, you know, even talking about this now with all of you fantastic women, I don't think this is something that would have been as easily accepted or as talked about 10 years ago as it is now. So I definitely think yeah. that we're moving in the right direction. I just think that there are still many, maybe not barriers to entry, but many valid concerns that young women such as myself still do feel entering the industry, which I think companies need to do a better job to address because it's not just about hiring a diverse um, talent pool. It's about actually making sure that they move forward in their career at that organization or other organizations is providing that um, providing that environment in which they can thrive and don't feel left out or singled out. Sure, that's it's really interesting, isn't it? That um, way back at A-level stage, you were almost forced to make some quite, um, I could call them in some respects, you know, career decisions at, at such an early age and, and go down one route or the other. But of course, what's interesting as well, I think, is although you went down what feels like a science maths type route, going down the other route, doesn't actually preclude you and I think Iona and I are proving that with what we've done is it doesn't preclude you from joining financial services so I think we're already busting some of those myths aren't we about about background and, and how you can enter this industry um I, I don't know where do you think we are in terms of some of these myths now because um I think what we're starting to do is prove that they might exist but but they don't in reality You're on mute, Iona. <laughs> Sorry, rookie Sorry. error. Still, still, still forgetting today. Um, okay. I think that in my work, I still have to do a, a lot to uh, prove that that women um, can engage with these big money issues, and that's one of the reasons why I wrote my book, Own It, because. I, I feel that for a very long time, there has been this perception that household money is, is the woman's realm. Um, this idea that women know how to keep a, a tight grip on the purse strings, you know, women can manage the family finances best. Um, and that, that may be true, that, that may be something of a stereotype, but I think that that is, um, that, that, that one of the problems is then that, women don't feel like they can take on those big money issues. I'm talking about pensions, investing, um, venture capital, starting a business, growing it to scale, all these things that I think, um, I, I, these are areas where I think women do need to become more involved and more vocal uh, and, and more visible. Um, and I think that that's, you know, seen, we can see that with the various finance gaps that exist. So we talk an awful lot about the, the income gap, but we don't necessarily talk that much about the pensions gap, the investments gap, and those are huge. And they make a massive difference to women's prosperity in the long term. Um, but I think we just need to bust that myth that really women should only be combined to, confined to the household day-to-day -day personal finance arena. You know, women can actually be incredibly effective long-term managers of money. And 
again, I want to maybe bust the myth that this is all because women are more cautious. This is a really common stereotype um, yeah. that's invoked when we talk about women in financial industry and also women when they're personally managing their money. The reason why, you know, they, they tend to make perhaps better money managers than men is because they're more cautious. Well, this this might be true on some level, but it's not necessarily because they're somehow genetically predisposed to being cautious. Yeah, yeah. It could be that as they grow up, they are perhaps taught that they need to be they need to, you know, uh, not be as adventurous and, and out there as as the guys. And and they fear they've got more to lose in a way if, if they're yeah. if they're not being cautious, um, um, then then they have perhaps more to lose than than. The male counterparts in their lives so I think that we need to get away from this idea that that uh, women are you know preconditioned to being cautious, more cautious than men but I certainly do think that we uh, we should bear in mind the fact that research does tend to show that female money managers can do just as well if not better than the male money managers and and that could just be because uh, maybe they do grow up with some of these attitudes uh, but in certain market mm. situations like a big down uh, downturn can act in their favor yeah and, and maybe that relates back to to confidence full mm -hmm. stop you know and um, i'm interesting as i said up front that you know only 10 percent of fund managers are female and that that's a, a startling figure isn't it to, to think about um and i do think sometimes um you know we do talk about this myth of of confidence of women entering the industry and um and, and i think that's something that we, we need to overcome um, and we're going to look at that actually in one of our future podcasts. But I'm going to come um, back to Sandy here. Because um, when we talked earlier about you thinking about joining the industry, there were some other areas, weren't there, that where you had not, not so much concerns, but just, you know, thoughts about. Do you want to have a chat about those? Sure. I think um, a lot of them do align with what Iona just said about um, thinking of women as more cautious. But I think mine is more, more an extension of that. I personally am someone who is um, who can be assertive, a bit more frank, and I feel like there is this um, notion that women are supposed to be more submissive, more agreeable, and I think one of my biggest worries was that once I do enter the industry in a room full of people, despite the fact that I am 100% a team player, would that attitude of me being assertive me being frank be seen as me having an attitude problem whereas <laughs> historically I have seen that men with similar attitudes are called driven or having excellent leadership abilities yeah. I think that was uh, definitely one of my concerns and you know the more and more I meet the women in this industry I do I do have hope that in the organizations that they work in, that they recognize this issue and they, there is active conversation around it. But, you know, there are other things as well, um, be it the number of opportunities that I get, um, having to prove to the people that I work with that I deserve this spot over, let's say, another man or maybe a, pers a, a person, um, maybe someone who's not a person of color. I think there are those general stereotypes in my brain that when I think about entering the financial services field, these are some general worries, you know, having to prove myself over and over again. Yeah, your, your I, first point is really interesting because it's maybe about do we have to compromise our personality and almost bring somebody different to work and almost act out of character. I, I don't know, you look like you were going to say something there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Something that Sandy said there uh, 
really triggered a memory for me when I first started out in in this field. Um, I had a couple of older female um, sort of uh, mentors and, and editors, um, and they had been in the industry for a long time. And their perception was that in order for them to get on in that industry, they had to behave like the guys and they had to subscribe to the culture that prevailed. So they had to go to the pub and stay, you know, after work for, for many hours on Friday and Saturday and kind of be one of the lads in order to, to get on. And, and at that time, there was this attitude that if you were coming through with a more kind of balanced maybe progressive attitude whereby you thought hang on judge me on my work not on how well I can be one of the lads and also um, perhaps we ought to be rethinking some of these cultural issues so in the first office I started out in it was appalling it was you know there was so much misogyny and sexism um, and it was such a, a, a it was such a hostile environment for a young woman to start out in. But the older woman tended to think, well, we had to put up with that. So um, I'm afraid you're going to have to pay your dues too. Now, I think that attitude has completely disappeared, which is fantastic. Yeah. I think the feeling now is that actually, if younger women have got ideas about how to do things differently, let's listen to them. Let's not just dismiss them and make out like they that they don't have enough experience and judgment to be able to to have a say, um, because actually, perhaps they've got some good ideas and perhaps they can take this organisation forward. And perhaps um, some of the prevailing ideas that we have about how to run this organisation are a bit outdated and, and, and belong to another era and aren't fit for the 21st century. Ten years ago, maybe that conversation, we weren't ready to have it, but now yeah. we definitely are. And young women can be themselves. They can bring their authentic selves to work and they can share their ideas and know that they won't be laughed at or dismissed, but that they will be treated with respect. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, obviously, as I say, I've been in the industry a long, a long time. There's, there's lots of stories, and I think we've made made significant progress. And I think for me, you know, we talk about diversity, but it means a whole range of things, doesn't it? And I always think that diversity of thought is incredibly important. And I think that's what I'm seeing now in our industry being much more embraced, more widely, isn't it? That people do have different backgrounds um, thoughts and can bring those to the party and, and really add some value. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I do think we've come a long, long way in, in, in that respect. Um, one of the other things we, we talked about, Sandy, was things like um, the impact of you know flexible working and, and that whole work-life balance. It was interesting, I did some speed, uh, speed networking with some, um, some children at school last year might have been the year before actually, but they asked their, the big question they asked me all the time was, are you stressed at work? Which I thought was really interesting. That was their perception of our industry as sort of 15, 16 year olds. Um, I told them that the only stress was missing flights, but um, which we're not doing anymore either these days. But, but, but do you think that kind of perception is still there in terms of, you know, working patterns and work-life balance? Um, I think, I think definitely I can speak from my experience when I joined university. There is this perception that if you work in financial services, um, it's akin to working 15, 16 hours a day for weeks on end and having that immense pressure to deliver, especially um, as a junior in the industry. And that was one of the things that scared me the most, you know, as a novice walking in, having no idea what the financial services industry was all, industry was all about. And I think 
while I think there are some parts of the industry that may be like that, I've I have learned by my interactions that there is so much to discover in the financial services industry. There are so many different um, areas you can go into. For example, um, I'll be joining LCP this year. The Every single person that I've spoken to at the organization, I have got the feeling that the company has an incredible work-life balance, that they emphasize that people actually take the time to care for themselves, that, it, that it's not all about work. And I think it's just about, I think because the industry is so vast, there is always that opportunity to find that, that corner that works for you, find that particular company, find that sector that works for you. So... Yeah. I think for people who are okay with 15, 16 hour work days, there is a space I, for them as well. Yeah, I think you're right, isn't it? It's, it's about what suits you. And, and I always talk about the way people are wired. We all like to work differently, um, but it's about per, it, it has to be at the end of the day about personal choice, doesn't it? Now, I'm very conscious that we have, um, we're already racing through our time uh, this, this afternoon. And uh, there's loads, I could go on for another half an hour. This is such an interesting conversation. I think we've only scratched the surface of it. But um, in, in the essence of time, um, I think what, what I'm keen to do is just one big question for you both. Um, you know, what, what can we do then to continue to bust these myths? Um, you know, is it about more promotion? Is it um, about being out as an advocate? What, what is it we could maybe encourage others to do um, differently? Um, Sandy, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, in terms of what I can think, um, encourage people to do differently is I would like to know personally if I'm interested in working for a particular organization, if they're not just taking their diversity initiatives as a token that there's actually time and money and efforts going into it, yeah. you know, to know that there is an entire team working on making sure that, as I said before, you're, that you're not just hiring diverse talent, but you're actually making sure that they are having productive, having a good time at your organization, making sure that they are getting what they need to develop and essentially reach uh, never seen before heights at their organization. I think the one thing we probably can do differently as an industry right now is to have that conversation, have more people, have a dedicated team to making sure that diversity is something that is actually properly addressed and um, championed at organization. And that it's not just seen as a side initiative. Yeah, so it's it's not just a tick box exercise. Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely embedded into the organization. Yeah. Iona, some final thoughts from yourself? Sure. Well, um, my advice for um, younger women who are wanting to get on in the industry, my advice to them would be to put yourself forward. And I know that's easier said than done. Um, but but do what you need to do to build that confidence to either get up at, and speak at events, put yourself forward for webinars and podcasts, um, you know, even broadcast opportunities. I think we could do with lots more young women in the financial industry on the airwaves. I think that would be incredibly positive. And then my advice for the industry would be, um, you know, try to avoid discriminating against young women who aren't yet mothers, because I think that we have made a lot of progress in, in making the industry more family friendly and, and, and functioning better for, for, for working mums. 
Um, and I, for one, really hope that after all this is over, we no longer have those uh, city breakfasts at 8 a.m. right in the middle of a school run uh, for most parents, uh, which I think are just incredibly antisocial. I think we're going to see the last of those, which is great. But also, you know, as a young woman who hasn't got children yet, I'm very conscious that that might be in my future and that actually maybe that's not the time to be thinking about how to achieve a healthy work-life balance. Maybe the, the time to set that balance up is now. And whenever I've asked, you know, about having flexible working positions in the past, you know, they've always been turned down because there's a perception of, well, why would you want that as a young woman who hasn't got children? It's like, well, well, I know what's best for me um, and I know how productive I can be. And I know that if you're if you were just a little bit more open minded about how somebody could work in this role, um, then you could open up a whole pipeline of talent for your organization that otherwise you would have totally closed off. So try to be open minded because younger women who are coming to you and younger men could have all sorts of needs that, that mean that they uh, that they require that kind of uh, working style um, and, and just try to be open minded about that. Brilliant. I, I think that's a great way to end, isn't it? Open minds right across the industry and for those who are thinking about entering the industry and I'll park the preconceptions and if you have any then there's lots of us in the industry um, that absolutely love it and for me have stayed a long time and therefore plenty of people to have these kind of conversations with so I just like to thank you for your time um, it's been a great opportunity to speak to you and I've loved every minute of it um, I'd also like to thank everybody who's um, listened to this podcast um, it's great to have you on board and hopefully you'll be able to join us in future sessions of this um, thanks and have a lovely weekend everybody